Welcome to the second episode of Sportsish. I'm your host, Chad Shanks, and during my time working in the marketing department for the Houston Rockets, that is until they fired my ass, but more about that in the first episode if you're interested. But in my time there, I saw how some professional sports elements that have nothing to do with the on-court outcomes can be more interesting than the games themselves. So in each episode, I'm recruiting experts to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how some of these things actually work, including today's topic, the logistical nightmare that is bobblehead giveaways. All right, let's do this. Stadium giveaways are a ubiquitous part of the modern sports experience. It dates back to the 1960s when Major League Baseball teams started giving away bats, balls, hats, and helmets as a way to entice people to come out to the ballpark. But it's another giveaway with roots in the 60s that has taken things to an entirely different level. That of course is the bobblehead, the ceramic nodding statue that puts schedule magnets, team posters, and sponsored t-shirts to shame both in overall quality and in amount of effort required to produce and distribute. And for decades now, fans have poured through the gates and grabbed their complimentary collectibles without devoting the slightest thought to the mountains that were moved in order to make it possible. Now before we get into how the bobblehead sausage is made, it's important to understand their backstory and how they achieved their status as the king of giveaways. I mean, these things, loosely described as dolls that have their head connected to their neck by a spring, also known as nodders or wobblers. These things have been around since as early as the 19th century, according to CollectorsWeekly.com. Then, in the 1960s, Major League Baseball commissioned a few based on its teams, mascots, and players. These first versions were made of hand-painted paper mache and were made in Japan by a little company called Lego, you may have stepped on one of their blocks while barefoot or watched their Ninjago-based film. These early bobbleheads were very generic, with basically the same face and a round pudgy body with different colored uniforms. And, as was the custom, most depicted white players, though in a super progressive move for the time, ones were made of black players like Roberto Clemente and Willie Mays, though their skin tone was often painted incorrectly because, you know, racism and such. But then that was it. Bobbleheads were big in the 60s and then disappeared for a few decades only to reappear in the 90s, kind of like Woodstock. According to Phil Sklar, who maybe knows more about bobbleheads than anyone else in the world, their resurgence can be traced back to a single giveaway by the bay. Uh, yeah, so 1999 is when the resurgence really happened. I mean, there was bobbleheads between the 60s and the 90s, but, you know, there's more limited runs and some, you know, more standard generic bobbleheads. But uh, the 90s, 1999 was when the uh, first bobblehead giveaway was, and that was uh, really started by the Giants, uh, San Francisco Giants, and, and talking to them and uh, hearing their thought process. It was actually for an anniversary year. It was the last year at Candlestick Park. And they were brainstorming ideas for, you know, unique giveaway items. Uh, they had looked through some old magazines and saw the generic bobbleheads and thought, you know, it would be cool to give away a bobblehead. And so they called some of their suppliers. And one of their suppliers, who's now one of the main bobblehead manufacturers, told them, you know, there was no way they'd be able to do it. Uh, and then 
they did get one of their manufacturers to to produce it, and they went through a lot of iterations. Um, you know, they mentioned how lucky they were that they started the process extremely early because the first version, second version, you know, didn't look anything like what they were envisioning, and you know, I guess the rest is history because you know, ever since they gave away that bobblehead and teams across the country saw how successful and that giveaway was and how many people went to the game almost exclusively for the bobblehead. Um, you know, they jumped on that bandwagon and, you know, by the next year there was NBA teams, NFL, NHL, uh, all giving away bobbleheads and soon you know, the minor league teams are jumping on board as well. And, you know, now if a team doesn't have a bobblehead day, it's like, you know, what's going on? Now, the reason I say Phil likely knows more about bobbleheads than anyone else in the world is that he is the co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum, which will soon have a permanent exhibit space in Milwaukee to display a collection of nearly 8,000 unique bobbleheads. The Rockford, Illinois native's fascination with the tiny statues began when he attended a minor league game in his hometown and received a bobblehead of the team's mascot, Rocco the Riverhawk. He, like so many others, instantly realized that this wasn't your typical promotional item. Um, you know, it was fun. Uh, I think just, you know, having it sitting in the, sitting there and babbling his head and, you know, something unique, you know, you go to a game and, you know, up to that point, you you got, a, you know, nothing or a t-shirt or a hat or, you know, there was, it was more just generics, you know, stuff, but, you know, the bobblehead seemed like it had a lot of, it had a lot of value fun wise and, you know, it just seemed like something cool to collect, especially being a sports fan and, you know, more teams started to add them on the promotional calendar at that time. So, you know, we looked at their calendars and circled the bobblehead games because, you know, it's a great way to, to add to the collection. And, you know, if you're going to go to three or four or five games a year, why not go to the ones where you get a bobblehead? And while the uniqueness and superior quality of this giveaway was the initial draw, Phil eventually realized that the bobblehead provided a financial incentive that you just couldn't find with other giveaways. You know, it did start off just as a hobby, uh, getting a few bobbleheads at a time. And, you know, we started to realize, okay, you can go to the game and get four bobbleheads, sell three of them, and, you know, that pays for the game, the ticket, the parking, and maybe leaves you some more money for food and and other things. So, you know, we realized there was that demand in the market for bobbleheads. So the bobblehead was not only a cool souvenir, but given their collectability, they could potentially subsidize the price of attending a game. Even if you don't care about keeping it, you can flip it on eBay and essentially cover at least some of your costs for a night out. Some bobbleheads can even cover the cost of something a lot bigger, like a new Tesla. According to Sklar, the highest price ever paid for a bobblehead was for one of the 1960s Yankees ones that went for around $60,000. Now that's an extreme example, of course, and most won't go for more than a few bucks. But the option to keep or sell them has led to increased ticket sales on bobblehead giveaway nights, which is the main justification for teams hosting them in the first place. According to Adweek, teams claim increases in ticket sales and attendance on bobblehead nights of up to 30%. Crane's Cleveland Business reports that the Indians specifically saw an average 25% attendance increase over a 10-year span of bobblehead nights. 
their only bigger driver of attendance was Dollar Hot Dog Night because, you know, obesity and such. But speaking of ballpark food, bobbleheads not only drive single-game ticket purchases, but they incentivize season ticket holders to actually use their tickets and arrive earlier to buy more food and merchandise. The Chicago Cubs reported a 71% increase in ticket scans an hour before game time on these giveaway days, again via Adweek. So then the question for teams isn't should we do a bobblehead giveaway, but when and how do we do a bobblehead giveaway? That's where someone like Lisa Godino comes in. Lisa was the marketing manager for the Houston Rockets from 2011 to 2016, and in addition to executing every single ad campaign and facilitating every single event, she was responsible for every single aspect of the team's promotional giveaways. My office was next to hers, and watching her run through the chaotic obstacle course that is pulling off a bobblehead giveaway night was the inspiration for this episode. Because, you know, schadenfreude and such. If you got a bobblehead at a Rockets game during those years, you have Lisa to thank. There's a lot of planning that goes into it, and it's really time-consuming. You really do have to be very detail-oriented, to, because there's a lot of moving parts to this stuff. If the first of these moving parts is deciding to do a bobblehead giveaway in the first place, the second is picking a date, a process that is far more complicated and begins far earlier than you may have realized. When the season schedule comes out, what we do is we look at which game is going to need the most help, which is the distressed game. Um, and the stress, distressed game is always going to be the game against just somebody, a team that isn't doing well and you know isn't going to do well. And it's like on a Wednesday night. Nobody's going to want to come see, you know, I don't want to name names right now, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody's going to want to go see the Rockets versus so-and-so on a Wednesday night. Right? Yeah. People got other things to do. On that night, that's when you decide, you know what, this would be a perfect night to give away a bobble. Because people will come just for that little toy. They'll buy the tickets to the seat. While NBA teams do giveaways to help move tickets to games they wouldn't sell out otherwise, baseball teams take a slightly different approach. Ann Madsen, the Lisa Godino of the Cleveland Indians, told Crane's Cleveland Business that they look to do their biggest giveaways on Saturdays to create a, quote, destination weekend, unquote, and pack the house on nights where they know they'll already be close. NFL teams, for the most part, don't need to move tickets like that. So if you want a bobblehead from one of their games, your ass can go buy it at the team shop. But regardless of the reason, even when a team's marketing department thinks a specific game will work, they then have to go to step three, which is checking with everyone else in the organization who has skin in the game. So once we've decided what night we're going to have as a bobble night, we then collaborate with tickets and make sure that they, they're they on the same page. Because sometimes tickets department thinks that they can still sell out that game even if, it, even if they know it's distressed. Because they'll loop it in with another like group ticket um, promotion. So, you know, they'll do like a five game, you know, every weekday or every Wednesday game, you know, bring the boys out. They'll make it a, you know, guys night special or whatnot. So once ticket tickets agrees that, yeah, maybe that night they can't handle, then okay, we, we've decided that's a bobble night. We then go pitch it to corporate and tell them, hey, who's your top sponsor? Because we only give bobbles to the top sponsors. And ask them if they'd be willing to, you know, sponsor this bobble for such and such player. 
once that person agrees, then we hit up the player and say, are you cool with having a bobble on such and such night? Players are very rarely ever going to say no. With very few exceptions, players do want to be immortalized as a bobblehead. I mean, it's flattering, right? But anytime you plan a player-related promotional item months in advance, it raises some unique challenges. The bobbles that are towards the end of the season, you now have to think about, is the player still going to be here? Come trade time, is he yeah. going to be shipped elsewhere? So that factors in. So if you think he's one that, you know, is kind of iffy, you're going to make him the bobble that's in December, right? Whereas your, your player that you're pretty sure isn't going anywhere, you'll schedule him for March. And yeah, there are calls to, you know, the GM before this happens. Like, hey, man, you think so-and-so still... Like, it's crazy. For a bobble, you're going to call Daryl Moore and be like, so <laughs> I know you really can't tell me what's happening, but would I be pretty safe with going with so-and-so on such-and-such -such date? And he'd be like, yeah, you should be good. Okay, cool. Thanks. Still, even if the GM says a player is safe, he may receive the proverbial offer he can't refuse after a bobblehead is already in production. There have been numerous instances of a player being traded before his planned bobblehead night, and in that instance, the team is faced with a choice. Either take the loss or give out the bobblehead of the guy everyone really liked until just recently. In 2012, the Milwaukee Bucks traded Andrew Bogut to the Warriors and gave out bobbleheads of him more than a month later. The Cleveland Indians traded Victor Martinez to the Red Sox the day before his bobblehead night. Then in 2014, a minor league affiliate of the San Jose Sharks traded player James Livingston to a Kings affiliate, who they were scheduled to play on Livingston's planned bobblehead night. The team went ahead with the promotion because there's no point in just throwing them away if they've already been made and shipped over. And so James Livingston came back to town on his own bobblehead night and scored two goals for the opposing team. And again, this problem comes up because all these agreements have to be made months in advance since it takes so long to actually make a bobblehead. So once all these people have agreed to have a bobble, right, now comes the planning process. It takes months to get these in because they are produced in China. They are shipped over on a boat from China. Um, they normally come into LA to that port. And then from there, we've got to ship them to Houston. So it's, and there's a lot of proofing and a couple more approvals along the way. So it can take three months. So let's say season starts, you know, end of October very first time you're hoping you have a bobble isn't until December because you barely got the schedule what in August and you've got to get approvals going so you're hoping you don't have anything before December to do or I'm sorry any bobbles before December all right so you're still three months out but you've picked a date gotten approval from other departments gotten the okay from the player to be bobbled checked with the GM to make sure said player isn't being actively shopped now it's time to actually decide what the bobblehead is going to look like. And gone are the days where just producing a generic statue with the player's name on it is enough to move the needle. Bobblehead experts like Phil Sklar aren't going to be impressed with something they've seen a hundred times already. Yeah, so I mean, I think teams are starting to realize this over the past several years. Uh, you know, a truly good bobblehead is one that has some uniqueness to it. Uh, so it's not just the standard player batting. 
you know, there is, even if it's a player batting, you know, there's something about the face or about the, um, you know, about the posture that's unique. The bar for bobblehead creativity has really been raised in recent years, with standard vertical poses being replaced by complex action poses and poses commemorating famous moments that all fans can recognize just by looking at it. Props, lights, and even sound have been added, and players have been placed onto vehicles, like when Cal gave out one of Marshawn Lynch driving the injury cart to commemorate his famous post-game joyride. The San Jose Sharks even tried to atone, I guess, for their affiliate's blunder by making an augmented reality bobblehead that played a behind-the-scenes video when scanned with the team's mobile app. But when it comes to true next-level creativity, no one comes close to minor league baseball, who, by necessity perhaps, have become the experimental lab for crazy bobbleheads in all sports. And the crazier they are, the more publicity they get, and as a result, more tickets they sell, even if the promotion has nothing to do with actual baseball. For example, the Nashua Pride of the Independent Atlantic League celebrated the 32nd, for some reason, 32nd anniversary of the Watergate break-in by giving away Richard Nixon bobbleheads to the first 1,000 fans on a night which also included free admission to anyone named Woodward or Bernstein and an 18-and-a-half-minute moment of silence to match the time of the gap in the infamous tape. Even with examples as wild as that, no team bobbleheads are as insane as the ones being given out by the Potomac Nationals, a high-A affiliate of the Washington Nationals. In the past, they've given out what they called a Bryce Harper gobblehead, which featured Harper's head on a turkey's body for a Thanksgiving-themed night. They also had an Ode to Tommy John Surgery Night where they gave out a statue of a disembodied arm in the throwing position with the elbow muscles exposed and a removable ligament. Both received national media attention and were praised for their creativity and just overall weirdness. According to Brian Holland, the team's general manager of sales, their outside-the-box promotions are absolutely essential to their organization's overall success. So for us, the promotions are the hook. They are the catalyst. They are live or die. They are our blood. It's that important uh, to be able to drive traffic because, you know, at one point, Potomac Baseball was the only show in town, including uh, a professional baseball product in D.C. There wasn't uh, a product, you know, until the Montreal Expos uh, came down to D.C. in 2005 and, you know, started to build their brand with uh, uh, RFK and then they got their new stadium and, you know, Frankly, for us, it is uh, the most important factor, maybe outside of weather, which, uh, you know, let's not forget the weather. That has a, a very direct, uh, tangible impact on the in-park attendance, no matter what market you're in. No, I think the, the promotions have always been a vehicle for excitement and for the old-school P.T. Barnum nod, where you're doing something to, to catch eyes and, and to get people energized to want to come and be a part of your, your game product. And in this case, an affiliated minor league baseball, you know, professional baseball experience. Holland and the Potomac Nationals have upped the ante with this season's promotional slate, which includes Steven Strasburg riding a Kentucky Derby horse, Trey Turner's head put on a roadrunner's body, and a Michael A. Taylor Mr. Potato Head-esque statue for their Ode to the Potato Night. 
been known as the bobblehead guys and gals, and uh, certainly I think that sells us a little bit short. But um, you know, we certainly try to put together the best possible product out of necessity, yes, but also because it's just so much fun. And if you're not uh, if you're not getting the most fun out of the the promotional experience, I think you're leaving something on the table. Again, as I said earlier, I know there's people that are going to criticize what we do and say that's too edgy it's it's too risk taking and my response to that would be yeah but you know what's the counter uh you know doing just a player bobblehead there's there's nothing that really is going to energize excitement and thus in park attendance uh like something that hasn't been done before but okay it's one thing to come up with the craziest idea for a bobblehead that you can think of but another challenge completely to actually get it made and to get it made under budget which is usually in the area of a few bucks per bobblehead, and even that can vary and depends on how much, if any, a sponsor is covering. That's where teams like Potomac have to find vendors who can make their outlandish dreams a reality. They really get challenged by us to come up with new stuff. And when we're describing these items, sometimes you can't even send a photo, you know, because it doesn't exist. I, I couldn't send a photo of a gobblehead. It was something that we had to uh, explain through words and, you know, pick some uh, conceptual artwork and go from there. So imagine being the person working at a merchandise company that has to answer the phone only to hear someone ask, uh, hey, can you make a turkey's body with a human head on it? They don't exactly prepare you for that question in business classes. But as teams continue to push the limits of what counts as a bobblehead, manufacturers must be up to the task if they want to compete for their business. One company that has done more bobblehead business than anybody is the Woodenville, Washington-based branded merchandise agency Bensusen Deutsch & Associates, or BDA, because that name is quite the mouthful. BDA now has licenses to create promotional items for all the major sports leagues and has created thousands of promotional items over the company's three decade plus existence. But co-founder and CEO Jay Deutsch remembers the difficulty of trying to create bobbleheads for teams in the early 2000s. Yeah, you know, and now you look back and you go, yeah, we did it. But you know, back then, you know, doing a bobblehead it was not easy to do. And, and still, there, look, a bobblehead is a very difficult product to make. And, it, and it's very personal. And you have to sculpt it. There's a lot of, of – it's handmade and hand-painted. So, um, you know, the first one that we did, I remember, we didn't really know how to do them. And we had to go f learn the process and and find a way to do it. And uh, – um, so, you know, over time now, we maybe take for granted that we have become such experts at it. But, you know, in the very beginning, it, it was not an easy project. So I, I remember it very well. They'd been out of production nearly 40 years. It had to have been tough to get them made at a reasonable price at the beginning of the craze. But nowadays, they're everywhere. You should be able to just quickly design them on the computer, 3D print them, and be done in an hour or two, right? Wrong. Very wrong. It It is not a 3D mold. You know, you, you can do some 3D molds, but you can't mass produce 3D molds. Um, and again, you know, these are made coming out of of molds and are, are really pieces that are kind of put together. It doesn't come out like a plastic injection molded piece. So um, you you really got to look at everything in, in, in totality. So, yes, there is, we have 
BDA sculptors on staff that, you know, that first one is kind of made out of clay. And then you, once you have the, the clay mold, you can start doing the, creating the injection molds. And, you know, you're talking about somebody with an exacto knife kind of carving out the, the shape of somebody's face and rounding it out and getting a high cheekbone or a low cheekbone or a little larger nose or a little more profound, a profound chin. And it really gets down to that level. And so, um, you know, you go from a, a, a pictures to a sketch to an actual, you know, you get down to a, a sculpted piece and then you start perfecting the, the actual individual pieces of a bobblehead. And, um, it's, it's pretty entailed. It really is a, a good sample process takes a good 30 plus days. So while vendors like Jay and his team at BDA are literally sculpting the initial bobblehead model out of clay, like a tiny little statue of David, they're having to send pictures of their progress to someone at the team level, like Lisa Godino, who will give them some of the most nitpicky feedback you'll ever hear. They send me like five different versions of it, and then I'm looking at it and saying, you know what, I think his eyebrows are a little too close together here. You made his nostrils flare too much, his ears protrude a little too much. Um, I don't think his cheekbones are that high. Like we're looking at everything on these guys. Um, you know, his hairline <laughs> shouldn't be that low. Do this, do that. Uh, so it's a lot of back and forth with that. But don't think she's nitpicking for nothing. We've all seen social media posts about bobbleheads that look nothing like the person they're supposed to be depicting. No team wants to be responsible for a disaster that makes it onto some random worst bobbleheads of all time list. And if a bobblehead is going to go the opposite route and actually try to make it into the bobblehead hall of fame, well, Phil Sklar says that attention to detail is essential. I mean, if the player is just in a generic batting pose, you know, it should match the player's pose. Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, we're always and collectors who are, you know, really like the, their bobblehead they're looking at is, you know, how, how much does it actually match the player's position or uh, their pose, uh, the facial expression, the facial details, um, and then also the jersey, you know, is it accurate, are the decals on there, and so forth. So I think that's what sets apart a great one from, you know, an average or below average. And you can usually tell how much time an effort a team put into the creation process. I mean, they can go, you know, as simple as say, we just want a standard baseball bobblehead of Aaron Judge, or they could say, you know, we want him blowing a bubble and, uh, you know, admiring his home run and we want this logo in the outfield. Um, so teams have a lot of say in, in that process. And if it gets rushed, that's when you see some of the subpar bobbleheads or sometimes even mistakes. For some teams and their representatives, just seeing photos of the initial mold is enough, but not for Lisa Godino, who demanded an actual prototype be sent to her before she would sign off on it. Once it arrived, she did her due diligence and showed it around to everyone involved to get their approval, including the approval of the player being bobbled. Most of the time, it was smooth sailing and the player signed off without a fuss, but there were some bumps here and there. You, you get their approval at the beginning to do the bobble, and then just as a courtesy, yeah, you go back and show it to them. Um, this part, again, I say is a courtesy because they could be like, eh, I think, I, you know, you should change this or whatnot. It's like, well, dude, do you know how many 
weeks. I've already gone, like we're already a month and a half in. Like this is pretty much it. So you really can't change too much. So what, the way we did it is if we knew it was a player who was really cool <laughs> and he was just going to be like, yeah, yeah, it looks good, then no problem. Um, it bit me in the butt one time because <laughs> there was a player who I thought was super cool and I showed him his, it wasn't a bobble, it was his action figure, um, which I thought looked great. And everyone else thought it looked great. And then I show it to the player and he wasn't happy with his hair. He didn't like his hairdo. Now, anyone familiar with the Houston Rockets roster during that time Lisa was with the team can probably guess which player would hold up the production process because he didn't like the way his hair looked. And if you're wondering if it's the same player we discussed in the first sports episode, whose whining sparked the institution of league-wide restrictions on team social media, you'd be correct. And since Chandler Parsons has coincidentally come up in a negative light in two straight episodes, I want to point out that it's not intentional, and of all the players I worked with, he was one of, if not the nicest to me overall. So this isn't a Bash Chandler Parsons podcast. I will be very shocked if he comes up in the third episode for any reason. But he and other pro athletes do need to realize that nitpicking about how your hair looks can delay production of a giveaway by weeks. So is it really that big of a deal, Chandler? Really? Even if the player does sign off on the prototype, if there's a sponsor involved, they have to take a look at it. And as is always the case with sponsors, every single time, without fail, they will feel that their logo is just a little bit too small. So someone like Lisa has to be ready to push back while tempering the degree of your pushing based on the percentage the sponsor is chipping in to pay for the thing. Or you can do as Lisa actually did and manipulate the hell out of them. That was obviously a concern, right? They're, put, they're putting in their money, but then you remind them you're not paying for the entire thing and you're getting all this promotion on the side for it. Um, so I would send it to them after it was all completed, after it was done, and I'd put their logo on there. And there might be times where they'd say, can we have it made a little bit bigger? Would maybe I'd make it then a little bigger. So I'd purposefully send it to them, you know, a little smaller than, <laughs> because I knew they were always going to say that. Okay, so where are we now? You picked a date, checked with other departments, got the sign-off from the player to be bobbled, decided on a look, found a vendor, worked out the details, and got even more approvals and sign-offs, and now it's finally time to place the order. But how many bobbleheads should you order? How many should you give away? A thousand? Ten thousand? Fifty thousand? You can go to a bobblehead giveaway at any various sporting event across the country, and it's gonna vary, because it is based on the team's individual needs and their available inventory. So for Brian Holland at the Potomac Nationals, they have a smaller stadium. So giving out 1250 fills their seats and preserves their market value by keeping them scarce. On the other hand, some big league teams have calculated the ROI and know that they'll essentially make money on every person they get to the ballpark with a bobblehead. So they might as well give one to all 40,000-ish fans. Then teams like the Rockets, during Lisa Godino's tenure, sold a good number of season tickets and other packages and didn't have much inventory even in the so-called distressed games. Also, they sold away their concessions to Levy restaurants for a flat fee, and then the retail operations at the time were ran by Adidas. So the team really didn't profit as directly from fans showing up to buy food and merchandise. As a result, they only decided to give out 3,000 baubles to fill the few remaining empty seats. 
even then, if the advertisements say the first 3,000 fans get a bobblehead, that might be more of an estimate than an exact figure. Well, let's say for my first ones. Uh, remember, I was new to this. We were giving away 3,000 baubles. That's what I ordered. Well, then turns out departments, while we don't give them to every employee, if a department wants to order some and give them to their employee as, you know, I don't know, and it's some sort of prize for doing well that week, or corporate or ticket sales likes to order extra so they can give out to clients who have just signed on um, or maybe to sweeten the deal for something um, the numbers will go up but my very first few times I didn't know this so I ordered my 3000 and then here come all these people going hey well we'd like to take a couple and we'd like to do this and we'll cut in on it or the player himself would like a few boxes um, well, and this, so they just come down the day the day they're giving out and say hey give me 50 bobbleheads for my friends and family that's pretty much what would happen yeah and you can't tell a player right no, no sorry you can't <laughs> i'm only using your likeness to sell these tickets and whatnot no you cannot have any you got to give it to them right so sometimes that number would fluctuate a little or a box would walk off right so that number isn't exactly right sometimes it might be a little bit lower but this was at the beginning. Towards the end, I got smart. I started padding the numbers a little more. All that to say that the actual number of bobbleheads a team orders for their giveaway night can vary greatly. But once that number is finalized and the order is placed, and vendors like J. Deutsch and BDA will then take over to manage the overseas manufacturing process, the difficulty of which is determined by the complexity of the design. A simple bobblehead can be done with just a few individual pieces but a complex one may need to be chopped up Dexter style. Yeah, because you're mass producing anywhere from five to 50,000 at a time, let's just say. And, you know, they have to look, you know, our factories have to look at what's the best way to do that. But every piece is, is made, comes out of a mold. Every, you know, if you can get the body and the legs all in one, sometimes there's, you, you need to put the hand, the arms need to be different depending upon the poses and, and things of that nature. And, um, we're doing, you know, bobbles that are, are, uh, you know, having people diving. We have people going up against a wall. And, and so you've got, we've got product engineers actually looking at how to manufacture it in the most effective fashion. Um, you know, putting that, 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 that manufacturing puzzle together. So, yeah, it's very detailed process from the sculpting to then, you know, it's one thing to make it, then, you, you know, make a great sculpt. Then you've got to put it into, into manufacturing and, the, and we find a way to, to mass produce that. Then they're all hand painted and assembled, put into packaging and, and uh, put on a ship to, to come to the States. All right, so we finally made it. Months have passed since the process started, but the bobbleheads have finally arrived. They were loaded on a ship in China, floated across the Pacific to a port on the West Coast, where they were unloaded and trucked across the country to the stadium. Now, teams usually arrange to have them delivered as close to the giveaway day as possible because, from a practical standpoint, where the hell are you going to store thousands and thousands of boxes of bobbleheads? The problem with arenas, while they're huge, they have other events going on besides just the sports team, right? Yeah. So we don't have, you know, this giant storage closet there where we can put stuff. Or if we do, it's probably not going to be able to stay there for, say, two weeks before. Or, you know, in the case where the bobble had to be shipped in January because we're not giving it out till March 1st and we don't want Lunar New Year to 
you know, change our plans. In that case, we can't have these, you know, massive boxes sitting around for six weeks. So now we've got to decide, we've got to go outside, hire um, some storage company and, oh, and sign a contract with them and do security because make sure none of them, none of those bubbles walk off. Because even in our own arena, when I was able to store bubbles there, they, they would wander. I would be missing a box or two. For people like Lisa, who nurtured it from just a gleam in her eye all the way to an actual bouncing baby bobble, it's excited to finally see the finished product. Naturally, you want to take it around and show it off to co-workers, and even down to the bobbled player himself to get his reaction, preferably on video because it's usually great content online. Even if the player has been a little difficult during the process, like Chandler Parsons was, Lisa was still giddy to go show him the finished product. The action figures come in. I take it to him on like Tuesday because they had arrived on Monday. So I go down to their um, after practice, right? They're all, they've all showered up. They've cleaned up. They're coming out of their locker rooms. I'm standing out there. He walks out. His head is shaved. He had just shaved his head the day before. Now, granted, I think he did it for charity. I hope that's what happened. That's the story somebody told me, because I was fuming. Like, what? You wow. shaved your head. How many times did you have me redo this? I almost didn't make my deadline because we didn't get your hair right. And here, the week we're going to give it out, you shave your head? Well, and then did he look at it and say, I don't like it. I want it to look like my hair looks now. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, I think he saw my look and was just like, yeah, it looks good. And <laughs> kept walking. And I was just like, what? What happened to your head? And if the player changes his appearance at the last minute, there's nothing you can do about it. As long as the item looked like he did when it was approved by him, dirt off your shoulder. However, that's not always the case. Teams always have to check a sample of the baubles to make sure there were no manufacturing issues. Usually there aren't any, or at least not many major ones. But if there are, oh man. In one instance, Lisa was checking her order and found that entire sections of bobbleheads weren't painted. And since you can't exactly send them back to China two days before the giveaway, you gotta take it upon yourself. But what wound up happening is we had to open every single box. And those bobbles are packed in styrofoam and wrapped in bubble wrap. Opened every box, every one that, and we're inspecting them now, um, and every one that had a little patch that was missing, we just pull off to the side. And what wound up happening was our creative department, those guys had to stay, I think, overnight. They had to go to the store, find the right skin tone, you know, right Pantone color and everything, bring it in and hand paint it themselves. And then just leave the little bobbles out overnight to dry and then repack and everything. If a bobblehead arrives not looking exactly like the prototype that was used in all the advertising, and fans are going to show up and get it and be upset that it doesn't look exactly like the one they saw and that they bought a ticket to get, Teams are pretty much backed into a corner and have to give it out regardless. There have only been a few reported issues of a bobblehead coming in so bad that a team scrapped it and ate the cost. One of the most notable instances was a David Ortiz one where his lips weren't painted brown like the rest of his skin, leaving them white and eerily reminiscent of an Al Jolson-esque blackface caricature. The Red Sox canceled the giveaway, calling them racially insensitive. Now, like all MLB giveaways, this one was produced by BDA, who despite years of success still have the occasional blip in a production process that has so many variables and so many moving parts. Mistakes happen. 
something that J. Deutsch acknowledges and will go above and beyond to remedy in the few instances he's faced. You know, if you see a picture of me, I've lost some hair. And it's, it, you know, I would tell you every project has its own nuances. And, you know, when, when you're the largest bobblehead manufacturer in the country, um, you, ju- you know, there's just, you, you just have challenges. And there's sometimes there's uh, some, some, some real ones. But the one thing that we pride ourselves on is, you know, when we, when we say bobblehead night's going to happen, it happens. And so, um, I've had to, to rent cargo planes and fly, you know, 40,000 pieces in on my dime because, you know, there were delays that, that took place or, or production issues that, that, that happened that we had to make good on and had to fix. And, um, you know, when that happens, we stand by our product and we stand by our clients. And I think they know that's what they get when they, when they work with BDA. So, it happens, and you know, I think the process that we have and the systems that we have minimize those, or we catch them early. But um, you know, the the the, the behind the scenes, uh, you know, making sure that we don't have a, a uh, an issue with the with the bobblehead. There's a lot of stories, and we 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 keep them all in you know in house to make sure that you know what happens at the end is. Everyone gets a great bobblehead and they walk away happy. When giveaway day finally arrives, bobblehead excitement is in the air. It's not uncommon for fans to line up three or four hours before doors open. And when they do open, team staff have to be ready for war. It's all hands on deck for distribution, from full-timers and part-timers to volunteer groups who come in to help in exchange for a donation to their organization. At the Rockets, all of these troops took their marching orders from General Godino. I would meet with the teams, give them the spiel, you know, you don't hand these out to employees, you don't hand them to anyone coming in behind you, you don't get to keep one, and you only hand out one per person. I don't care if somebody comes up to you, you know, <laughs> and says, my grandma's back there in her wheelchair, she can't, you know, scoot up to the front fast enough, can you give me one for her? No, grandma does not get one, she has to be present. and. Someone comes up to you holding five tickets and says, I've got five baubles. No, sorry, it's just one per person. Because I know you're just going to go off and sell those other ones. And when doors do open, it's like Black Friday. But with metal detectors to help slow them down a bit, which maybe isn't too bad of an idea for actual stores on actual Black Friday. And with giant stadiums and arenas, there isn't just one door that everyone goes in and out of. There are multiple entrances that require multiple stacks of bobblehead and staff distributing at each which creates its own unique problem. Let's say that guy that's, you know, been there for three hours walks in through the main entrance, and by the time he gets the front, there are no more baubles. We're like, sorry, we ran out. Well, how is that, how is that, you know, the case? He's like, there were only this many people, you know, ahead of me. Well, because we've got baubles at every door. People are coming in from every entrance. The guy just says, okay, well, I guess I didn't make it in time, right? And then what does he do? Does he go straight down to his seat and sit there? No, he's there, you know, an hour before the game, before tip-off. So he's going to walk around the arena. Well, when he walks around the arena, he's going to pass another entrance, and here this entrance is still handing out baubles to people coming in. That's not fair, and and, it makes sense for him, and I would get really angry. So then he's going to go up to the people at those doors and say, hey, I just walked in from such and such door. They ran out. Can you give me one? 
Well, now it's just causing commotion there because you don't know, did he have one? Did he hand it off to somebody? Is it under his jacket? You can't ask him. Yeah. (laughs) Pat him down there. I think you've already got one. As people are pouring in and baubles are being handed out, staff members are running around like crazy, doing real-time inventory checks and putting out fires wherever they can. So everybody's on their walkies and you're just constantly giving a count. And on bubble night, I would even have to come out um, because she'd need a manager there as well because, you know, somebody's going to complain. Somebody's going to throw a fit. When they run out, somebody's going to come and be like, I've been here for this long. I counted. There were only this many people in front of you. And you have to explain to them as well. Yes, but there's several different entrances and we're just completely out of bubbles. Um, so you're just constantly giving an update. As soon as doors open and people start coming through, okay, I'm down to five boxes. I'm down to six. This other entrance might have still have 20 going because let's say a lot of people didn't go through that door. Okay, well, now you've got to move those 20 and shift them around because we're just trying to time it to where everything runs out at the exact same time. And then, just like that, it's over. Sure, you'll have to deal with the handful of people who arrive after the game has started and complain that they didn't get a bobblehead. Those people are the absolute worst. But after months of planning, months of coordinating, months of stress, you just hand the bobblehead over to people who just grab it and keep walking without realizing or caring what you went through to get it to them. And seeing a smile on a kid's face when they receive theirs is nice, but at what cost? Then, you don't really get to enjoy it because the next day, all focus is shifted to the next bobblehead giveaway and the next one after that, and so on and so on, until you realize we're all cogs in a perpetual bobblehead machine. Phil Sklar has kept a database of team bobblehead giveaways and notes that there have been over 7,000 unique bobbles given out across sports since the 1999 resurgence. That's a lot of variations of the same basic toy. And as noted earlier, just to keep it interesting, teams have already resorted to man-animal hybrids, So where else is there to go with it? Well, the latest fad is baubles that combine athletes with pop culture, like players holding lightsabers from Star Wars or riding dragons and sitting on the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones. And Marvel had like 50 superheroes in Infinity War alone, so that's another 50 possible themed bobbleheads. And while some of those make sense, like the BDA-produced bobblehead of Mets pitcher Noah Syndergaard as Thor, given his similar appearance and embracing of the nickname, others seem to just be shoehorned in, like the one featuring Mets mascot Mr. Met just wearing a Han Solo vest next to Chewbacca. It's like, okay, but why? To me, it would seem that this just cheapens the whole experience for true sports fans and collectors. But Sklar says that has not been the case so far. Yeah, I think that's a good thing overall. I mean, it brings in new collectors and it brings in new fans to the sport. Uh, you know, if you have a Game of Thrones bobblehead of the mascot or of a player, and, you know, you're going to get a lot of Game of Thrones fans who may have never been to a game uh, in their life, and they might come and enjoy it. Who knows, maybe there's a new baseball fan born. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, teams will continue to think outside the box, and if fans embrace it, they'll continue to do it. If fans push back, they'll pull back as well. But, you know, I think ticket sales and, uh, you know, attendance has shown that some of these crossover uh, promotional bobbleheads have been huge successes. And so I wouldn't see that dying down. If anything, you know, maybe expect to see, you know, more of that. And fans just assign a sentimental value to bobbleheads that isn't seen with other giveaways. 
No one stares at their old 1998 schedule magnet and reminisces about the good old days. But a bobblehead on a shelf is a reminder of a happy time, even if you bought that bobblehead off of eBay. I absolutely think it's sentimental. Because the monetary thing, you're going to sell it to someone who wants it, right, for sentimental value, right? So someone who didn't get to go to the game and get one, and that's their favorite player or whatever, or yeah, so they're going to pay whatever for it. No, I think it's all sentimental. Still, I can't help but think that we've reached peak bobblehead, that the bobble bubble is bound to burst, and if not from fan apathy, then from staff revolting at the logistical nightmare that is getting them produced and distributed. But according to Jay Deutsch, this craze isn't going anywhere. I've been around the the merchandise industry for 34 years. Uh, I did we did our first Major League Baseball bobblehead 18 years ago. If you said, you know, Jay, there's there's product fads and and things that come and go, and and licenses that come and go, absolutely, I would agree with you. Um, bobbleheads are here to stay. Uh, they, they just are. Um, I don't think the bobblehead has has tapped out or reached out. I think, you know, there's different um, opportunities to continue to innovate and create around a bobblehead. And I think the, the, the cool part of that is, is it just creates, it makes it a new product. It's not, again, an old, uh, you know, you're going to put the same bobblehead on your shelf every year and they're going to just change the year on it. So. You know, again, I, 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 we've gotten creative. We've done, you know, now we've taken it to garden gnomes and, 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 and different types of, of genres within the polyresin world. And I, I've got to tell you, stay tuned. If the bobblehead craze does extend on another couple decades, the next time you get one in a game, instead of complaining that it doesn't look exactly like the player, Try to appreciate the fact that the ceramic doll you got for free took some poor team employee months of blood, sweat, and tears to get it into your hands. And while that may be a slight hyperbole, still, the bobblehead life is not for the weak of heart. It is not for everyone. <laughs> and there's a lot, y'all keep appreciating those things. There's a lot that goes into it. And that's it for episode two. Thank you for listening, and a huge thank you to my guests, Phil Sklar, Lisa Godino, Brian Holland, and Jay Deutsch. I'm going to post their full interviews as supplemental episodes, so please listen to those so you can learn more about the history of bobbleheads from Phil, about how Brian and the Potomac Nationals come up with those insane ideas and then actually get them improved, how Jay started a merchandising empire by cold calling the NFL and getting a license to print a Seahawks sweatshirt, and finally, how Lisa couldn't get James Harden to approve a Garden Gnome giveaway. There's a lot of great stuff that I couldn't fit into this episode, so please check those out. If you have any ideas for topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes, my Twitter handle is at Chad J. Shanks. So send them to me, and if I like the idea, I will steal it and not give you credit. Again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Sports-ish.